Welcome to Happened Here. People, places and the stories they tell. I'm Joanna Lumley, host of this episode, The 18th Century Vice Industry. Along with the newly introduced vice of too much gin and the ever-present vice of crime, 18th century Londoners were not unaverse to the vice of revelling in the sins of the flesh. In this episode, we concentrate on the last of these vices and tell the stories of a poor girl lured, like many of her kind, into the vice industry, the beneficial effects of what became known as the English vice, and a booklet named for a man who called himself the Pimp General of All England. Without further ado, let's begin. Covent Garden Piazza, Haddock, Hogarth and Harlots, written by Jasmine Silk, performed by Lulu Freeman. She has a good eye. Sometimes she wishes she hadn't. Late autumn evening, 1745. Teenager Nancy pulls her cloak around her low-cut dress as she crosses Covent Garden Piazza. It's packed with people. She sees a Viscount in blue satin clutching his lady wearing a gold, full-hipped skirt, who's pushing aside a flower girl as the pair hurry towards the theatre. Sees they're being stalked by a young pickpocket. Sees a clergyman on his way to St Paul's Church, negotiating a drunkard who spews his gin onto the cobbles. Rich and poor, the pious and impious, observer and observed, a living, breathing Hogarth satirical cartoon. Not for the first time, Nancy thinks to herself that Hogarth is guinea gold, all too accurate in his depictions of the world she inhabits. At the northwest corner of the piazza, Nancy slows in front of number eight, lowers her shawl, plasters on a smile, winks at a young nobleman lurking nervously under the arches. Haddock's bagno, sweating, cupping and bathing, reads the sign above the door. She beckons him in, one of the impious then. Banyos, or bathhouses, were inspired by the Turkish baths that knights had enjoyed on crusades in the Middle East during the medieval period. But by the 18th century, bathing in London's banyos was not necessarily the main reason a man would enter such an establishment. Covent Garden's reputation as London's centre of vice was partly a consequence of places like Haddock's banyo. The inventory prepared on proprietress Elizabeth Haddock's death in 1751 survives, and the bathhouse contained no fewer than 22 bedsteads, suggesting that bathing was indeed not the main activity in this banyo business. Included in the inventory was The Harlot's Progress, six engravings by painter and printmaker William Hogarth renowned for his moralistic engravings about English society, these panels chart a young girl's descent into prostitution. And with black humour, 
The haddocks had hung them on the staircase to the upstairs rooms. Nancy leads the nervous young man up to her allotted room. As they always do, Nancy's eyes linger on the first stages of fictional Moll Hackabout's downfall. Indeed, the first person Nancy had met, aged 17, when she herself had climbed down from the coach in London, a country innocent hoping to find employment, like Moll, as a seamstress, was a kind, older lady who had whisked her away with promises of well-paid work, just like Hogarth's fictional Moll in stage one of the progress. And just as swiftly, she was drawn into a life of prostitution. Nancy, too, had been set up as a mistress to a wealthy merchant. Stage two, with fine rooms of her own and fancy fripperies. But that had not lasted long. Now she was at stage three, a common prostitute in a brothel. She and the other girls have a running joke about who'll be prosecuted and in jail next. That's stage four. With the young man still on her arm, she reaches the top of the stairs, these days unable to look at Hogarth's final panels, stages five and six, Moll's descent into syphilitic hell, and her wake, following her death aged 23, where drunken mourners use Moll's coffin as a drinks table. For Nancy, Hogarth's staircase story doesn't bear too much scrutiny these days. Prostitution was not the only vice on offer in the 18th century. In fact, there were some who would argue that our next vice was in fact medicinal. 27 Catherine Street, Covent Garden. Mrs. Jenkins' Flogging House. Written by Joanna Clark. Performed by Stephen Fry. We're nearing the end of the 18th century, and a well-dressed gentleman stands before the formal, quiet exterior of 27 Catherine Street. He knocks, the front door opens, and he is ushered inside by a Mrs. Jenkins. Good evening, sir, she chimes, giving the man a quick once-over with her hawk-like eyes and spreading her lips into an enticing smile. Brocade waistcoat, silk breeches, yes, a promising potential customer with guineas enough to help me make a fine night's takings, she thinks to herself. I am Mrs. Jenkins. Welcome to my establishment. She gestures into the shadows, and two young girls hurry forward to relieve the gentleman of his cloak and hat. What can we serve you tonight, Mr... Uh... Blackwell? he replies curtly, scanning his eyes over the handsome hallway. I have had the pleasure of visiting certain other houses in this area, he continues, and I thought it only proper to investigate yours, although I must inform you that the standard is set high. You see, I passed last night at Nancy Burroughs on Drury Lane. Indeed, I've heard she uses more birch rods in a week than Westminster School in a twelve-month, interrupts Mrs. Jenkins, her smile only slightly forced. 
but I think my girls are up to the task. She offers him her hand and motions towards the stairs. Shall we? Not ten minutes later, and Mr. Blackwell is to be found leant over a bedstead with his trousers around his ankles, whilst a young woman with fair hair, possessed of all her clothing, thrashes his naked behind with a leather strap. Every night, Mrs. Jenkins' door opens to men of all classes, perhaps even the Prince of Wales himself. "'seeking to be scourged, whipped, pricked with needles, "'half-strangled, scrubbed, curry-combed, or beaten with nettles, "'or for a very reasonable fee. "'After all, in the eighteenth century, "'flagellation was considered a way of stimulating the circulation of bodily fluids "'and curing venereal diseases.' Books and poems about the English vice of flagellation were published, including this arch-example of the genre used by one of Covent Garden's ladies, a Mrs. Mactony of Great Titchfield Street, as a calling card for her services, just round the corner from where I'm recording this. Come, you young rascal, leave off crying. I will whip you while the rod will last. I will, I will, you're always dying. I will whip you for all offences past. And bless this hand that holds the rod, and kiss it with a fervour sweet, and think yourself a demigod while tasting the delicious treat. Keep down your legs, let go my hand, let, let your breeches remain down. This efficacious reprimand shall make you the best boy in town. Mrs. Jenkins smiles smugly as she observes Mr. Blackwell through the keyhole. She moves quietly along the corridor, peeking through a spy hole into the room next door as she goes catching a glimpse of a stern, matronly woman giving the local magistrate his weekly lashing with birch branches. More! More! she hears the magistrate cry out with pain and glee as the branches come down again. A good night's takings indeed, she thinks to herself with satisfaction. Thank goodness for the English well, now we know. Meanwhile, whatever you were looking for, hetero, LGBT+, a little bit of light BDSM, the 18th century had a way to find it. Instead of today's internet or the 20th century's cards in phone boxes, in 18th century London, the man to find you the person to suit your needs operated from a pub in Covent Garden. If he wasn't there, you could buy his publication. The Shakespeare Tavern, Covent Garden Piazza. Carnal Pleasures. Written by Robbie Stamp. Performed by Kate Reed. George Pembroke, minor aristocrat, buck-smart in green velvet jacket, tending to fat, newspaper under arm, repairing to the Shakespeare Tavern on the northeast side of a Covent Garden carousing itself into the night. 
pot of half and half by his side, snug in the snug, opening the London Intelligencer, cursory perusal of the news, finding what he is looking for. It has indeed been published again. He has been a connoisseur since he was discreetly shown the original handwritten version and had purchased the very first printed edition at Christmas 1757. Indeed, in a hidden drawer in his desk, he still has the 58 and 59 editions. A man needs his entertainment at home from time to time. But here it is, May 8th, 1760, an advertisement for Harris's list of Covent Garden ladies or the Man of Pleasure's calendar. An exact description of the most celebrated ladies of pleasure who frequent Covent Garden and other parts of this metropolis. Two shillings and sixpence. George scans the room for Sam Derrick, Dublin-born, erstwhile linen draper, mediocre poet, former inmate of debtor's prison, grubby coat, and, for those in the know, the author of The List, to which one John Harrison, also known as Jack Harris, head waiter at the Shakespeare and self-proclaimed pimp general of all England, has given his name. Spotting them both at the bar, George beckons Jack over. You're grinning like you've seen a basket of chips, sir. Reckon we'll do 2,000 copies again this year. This one's yours. Jack hands Pembroke a pocket-sized book, some six by four inches. In 1758, Shortly after the first edition of Harris's list came into print, the magistrate and moral reformer Saunders Welch estimated that of a population of 675,000, London was home to approximately 3,000 prostitutes. If a lowly female domestic servant could expect a wage of around two to four pounds a year with accommodation and food, a sex worker at the top of the pyramid could earn that in one night some much more. Back in the Shakespeare, however, the economic plight of women is not uppermost in Pembroke's mind. Reading the familiar introduction, Come then, my friends, ye friends to Harris come, and more than kisses share, turning thin paper pages and pausing over this description. Miss Corbett has a rather unorthodox manner of charging her clients. Her fixed rule in regard to price is to measure a gentleman's maypole by a standard nine inches and to expect a guinea for every inch in its short or full measure. Hurrying on. Miss H.Y., very active and nimble, and not a little clever in the performance of the art of friction. Hmm, just round the corner, too. Looking up, George catches Derek's eye, offering a toast and a grin. By the time of the final publication in 1795, it is estimated that Harris's list, with its addresses and bedroom specialities, had sold a quarter of a million copies. But what of Derrick himself, first of the rhapsodizers and critics? Well, after his death in 1769, the London Chronicle describes him thus. He was of diminutive size, with reddish hair and a vacant countenance, and he required no small quantity of perfume to predominate over some odours that were not of the most fragrant kind. Hmm, ironic. 
Not such a fantastic review for him, then. Perhaps Harris's list is not a volume to keep on the coffee table. Happened here. People, places, and the stories they tell. I'm Lulu, and I performed the story about Haddock's Banyo. I loved reading this story. I think that female prostitution in the 18th century deserves some special attention. I think these women would have had a lot to say, and we should continue to let them speak, even if it is 300 years on. Do check out our website, happenhere.com, to meet more characters who may have until now been swept under the rug. I'll see you there. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, tell your friends and leave us a kind review and a rating on your podcast platform of choice. But for now, everybody involved in Happened Here, the writers, the hosts, the performers, thanks you for listening. Do come again. We've got lots more stories to tell.